Hello, and welcome to another episode of the How to Scale a Business podcast. My name is Hector Satya Esteban, and I am your host for today, merely your guide, your facilitator for today's conversation. Our guest of honor today is Mr. Bob Hutchins. He's a fractional CMO. He's a AI simplifier. He's got a TEDx speaker. He's an author and seems to be an all around cool and smart guy. So I'm excited for today's convo. Thanks, Bob, for hanging out with us. Absolutely, Hector. It's great to be here. LinkedIn is what brought us together, but I, in doing this show, I'm always on the lookout for really smart, talented, intelligent, and sometimes they run pair, you know, mutually exclusive to each other. But you had a really cool bio. You're talking about a lot of cool things. Would love for you to share how you got to where you got and maybe some of the key milestones along the way and, and a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad we connected and I'm glad that you found it interesting. That was the goal. I do have a bit of a varied background. I come from a communications background, sales background. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, I started a digital marketing agency, which was pretty bleeding edge at the time here in Nashville. I'm from South Florida originally. As a kid, moved around the world a lot. My dad worked for the government. He was always involved in electronics. That was part of his job, but he was the tinkerer. We were always the first family to have computers and calculators and the latest and the greatest things. And so I grew up around that. I guess that's what drove me to push the envelope and connect the dots and see what was coming. And in the mid-90s, I started seeing things like CompuServe and America Online and this whole growing, what we called at the time, information superhighway. And then the internet hit in the late 90s. And I immediately saw not only the value, but the changing world we were in. Fast forward to early 2000s, I was working in tech outsourcing. We were selling and leasing out contractors and doing development work for Y2K conversion projects on legacy systems and Fortune 500 companies. And I learned how to talk the tech language, but I'm not a programmer myself, but I understood and saw what was rapidly changing in our world. I was always fascinated with the agency life. And so I decided to start an agency naively and say, I have a lot of contacts here in Nashville. At the time, we had moved up from South Florida. And I had a lot of contacts in the entertainment and the music business. And they were early adopters because they had such big fan bases and they're looking for alternative ways to connect with fans, with artists on films, on books, on entertainment media. Nashville's a big city for that. And so I began to take what I had learned the previous five or six years and go around and sell email marketing, sell website development, a way to do direct marketing with entertainment media fan bases. Again, pretty cutting edge at the time and not a high priority, right? If you think about it, it sounds weird now, but if you were to go to a record label in 2001 and 2002 and said, what is your budget for digital marketing? On a scale of one to 10, it would be 10. But as it gradually moved up the ladder over the years, my agency continued to grow Social media came online and the rest is kind of history. In 2017, I closed my agency, took about a year off and really has come back since then. Went back and got my master's degree in behavioral and organizational psychology and then working on a PhD in AI and its effects on society. My strength is in digital marketing strategy. I work as a fractional CMO 
and I help companies solve scaling problems. So that's a high-level flyover of my background. It's so cool. As someone who is interested in, in so many different things, I look to, you're laying the blueprint, if you will, for someone who has a lot of different interests because so much of the advice that's in the wherever that's out there is stick, you got to niche down and you got to focus. And, and I think that there's probably that thread that's there. So how did you find a way to navigate that where there were so many kind of different competing things? Is there a thread that pulls them all together or is it something that you've just been able to, to pull off and juggle? I would say there's a few threads, but one of the main ones that I've already touched on is every marketer is a psychologist for their clients, whether they realize it or not. And when I say that, many times people scratch their head and they're like, what do you mean? As an agency, as a marketing or advertising agency, your service is your customers, your clients come to you and they ask you to change the behavior of their customers because their customers are not doing what they want them to do or their prospects. And so it's your job as an expert to say, okay, we need to change the behavior of X, whatever that may be. You might want to get them to buy more of your products. You might want to grow your business and attract more people. You might want to get them to move toward a different way of engaging with your product. Whatever that may be, you are really acting as a psychologist. And I saw that early on. And so whether it's communication, whether it's B2B or B2C, whatever letters people want to put around the type of specialty they have, the one thing that's in common is there's a human being talking to another human being. It doesn't matter if you're the executive making $10 million a year, the CEO of the big company, or you're selling $5 hairbrushes to teenage girls. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, you're talking to another human being. And you have to understand consumer behavior. You have to understand the psychology of human beings in order if you're going to really change the behavior of those customers or influence the behavior. I have something on my LinkedIn that may have caught your eye. It may not. But it basically says great marketing is nothing more than psychology plus math. And that's the thread that for me that I pull on and continue to pull on. It's understanding human behavior and then niching that into whatever segment that you're trying to reach, matching it to that, and then measuring it and scaling it. I know that's a very simplified way of saying it, but that is marketing. Yeah. It's interesting because in the discussions that come up with us, we do a lot of content and we're trying to figure out the goal of good content is for it to be seen by more people. And what ends up happening is that you look at a lot of these things that go viral or that are getting a lot of traction and there's a lot of doohickeys or gizmos or gadgets or there's a lot of ancillary things. And what I find is that some people can get caught up in the tactics and forget what you're talking about, which is the psychology. And that behind the tactics, there's always a psychology that's driving that. Absolutely. And I'm a little bit of a maverick in, in the sense of I was brought up with the Dan Kennedys and the click funnels and all of the things and the quote masters. And I got to a point in my career, quite honestly, where I said, if I'm going to be truly honest to this idea of human centric psychological marketing, then I'm going to have to address some of the things that marketing teaches us that is successful, that's really not human-centric. 
Let me give you an example. We were taught, and you still hear it today, that playing play off people's FOMO, fear of missing out. Do countdown timers on websites, put things like two days only sales, put on and on it goes, right? Those are tactics that have been used historically for a long time in copywriting and in marketing. But I believe that great marketing, authentic marketing that is going to grow your brand and build trust in your brand by your customers and ultimately create an environment where your customers can market on your behalf is about treating them well in a very restorative way. Restorative meaning leaving that relationship better than you found it. So I have a simple rule of thumb that says, I'm going to treat customers, I'm going to treat my clients' customers, I'm going to treat all marketing in the same way that I would treat someone that I care about. And so let's flip the tables. Someone you care about sitting across the table, your partner, your parent, your best friend, would you sit down and tell them, hey, you only have me for 30 minutes right now and you better make the most of it because I'm out and if you don't pull it off and give me what I'm wanting, then I'm on to the next person. I would never say that to someone that I care about. But yet we right. st- you. I said, I don't know if you ventured out into the world of social media today, but I feel like that's some people's standards, which is perhaps part of the problem. Exactly. But if I was sitting down with my wife tonight over dinner and I tried to pull that, yeah, that would not work. It not only would be highly uncaring as a human being, but it would be borderline toxic kind of behavior. But yet we don't think twice about using all these like playing off people's anxiety and manipulating it. And the answer is, so the question people are saying, then Bob, what are you talking about? Isn't your job to sell and make money and increase conversions? Absolutely. I believe you can do it in a much more human-centric, restorative way. And honestly, I think people are hungry for that. Younger generations smell your old school marketing tactics a mile away and they're not going for it anymore. And if you think of the best brands, if you think of the brands that have true customer loyalty long term and fan bases, there's some great brands that do some really great authentic customer centric, honest human marketing. And that's really where I want to be. And that's the kind of work that I like to do with my customers is my clients is to try to cause that shift in the way that we do marketing. Yeah. One of the reasons I was excited about having this conversation was that I'm a little bit of an AI kind of nerd. And I'm probably that person that, oh, here he is talking about AI again. It's one of those things where I don't want to miss the boat, basically. And I've seen that happen a number of times. I, I was probably a little too young to be cognizant or to really take advantage of when the internet was coming online. But in 2013, I saw this social media thing happening. And I was like, oh, this YouTube thing happening. I was like, oh, that's a silly thing. But let me go to school. Let me focus on my marketing degree and my four P's that they were teaching me. Set it by the wayside. Similarly, with podcasts, I did the same thing in 2015 where I was like, oh, this is really cool, but eh, it's probably like some fringe thing. No one's going to be paying attention to podcasts anytime soon. Eight years later, I wake up and here we are. But so AI being one of those things that like I don't think is going to go away and people are poo-pooing it and saying it's not this or it's not that or they have these ideas of what it is. And what's your take and perspective and especially from the lens of how a business might appropriately use it? for their business. And you could take that from an ethical standpoint. You could take that from a practical standpoint. I'm just curious how you see businesses fitting AI into their operations. 
it's a big subject, right? And it's so funny how, to me, I find when you start talking about AI and getting into the details, the ethics, the future, it really pokes at a lot of interesting identity issues with us as human beings. The name itself, artificial intelligence, which you could argue may not be the best name for it, but even that scares a lot of people. It's my belief that We've had a hundred years of really dystopian sci-fi in the West that dominates our brains around robots and artificial intelligence that I believe informs much of the, more of the response than we're aware of. Because if you go to Eastern cultures, Asia, et cetera, you'll find a they very- don't think about- Terminator, they don't think about Arnold Schwarzenegger as the... If you look at their anime and you look at their sci-fi, it's actually the robots are friends. The sci-fi is much less dystopian. All of that to say, you have to wade through a lot getting into business. So let's set that aside. But as far as how businesses need to be thinking about it, A, they need to be thinking about it. B, they need to follow the mantra, and I'm not the originator of this, and I'm sure you've heard it. AI is not going to dominate and take over your job. Somebody using AI is going to dominate and take over your job. And I think businesses need to approach it like that. Individuals need to be approaching it like, how am I going to use it to enhance my skill sets. I'm a big fan of Marshall McLuhan, who said that all new media platforms and new media environments are simply extensions of who we are and what we do. So the wheel was an extension of our legs, of our feet. Computers are extension of our brains. Televisions and printing presses are extensions of our eyes, allowing us to see things much differently, to expand, et cetera. And I think AI is an extension of... (laughs) It's an extension of a lot of things, but it extends our ability to do so many things. And so businesses need to be think about it that way. Will people lose their jobs? Yes. Will people's jobs be augmented and enhanced? Yes. I think businesses need to be looking at it as a automation and speed tool. AI right now works best, not as an exclusive language model, but as a doing small to medium-sized tasks faster and automating those tasks. Most people only understand ChatGPT or Claude or Bard, but look, AI has been around for 50 years. Yes, we're at an inflection point, but businesses should be thinking of small language models versus large language models. What are ways that I can train these algorithms on internal, my existing content and data? Don't worry about ChatGPT and the trillions of pieces of information that it has scraped and learned from. Use the algorithms and the tools to train on your limited amount of information. So whether it's financial, whether it's your data warehouse of spreadsheets, whether it's your customer analytic database, that's where AI can really serve you the best. It can speed up, it can connect dots, and it can really automate so much of what you're doing right now. Can you help the listeners to crystallize when you talk about, I've never heard it talk. It makes a lot of sense, small language models. And I understand what you're saying because I've done my, definitely not 10,000 hours, but I've spent enough time going down YouTube rabbit holes. But do you have either a case study or a use case or an example of how a business has effectively used these small language models? 
Yeah. When I say small language model, that's not a clinical exact. It's just a way for me to say there's large language models, which everyone's heard about, but I think people can get distracted in that. And that's great for copywriting. It's great for so many things, right? Generative language models. But I think where AI can really be practical and is being used and has been used, example, let's say you are a research biotech company and your one thing is you're trying to solve this problem for this segment of people in the country. They have a certain blood disease and it's rare, but we've got a database of 150,000 people all over the world that have suffered from it. And so we're constantly trying to record and do lab tests and things like that. The value of AI is to take all those points of data that you have over, say, 25 years and make connections based on your unique data, right? So that's one way. A real practical way would be, say, you're an e-commerce company. Let's say you had 10,000 SKUs, 10,000 product descriptions, and you would love to bring on another 3,000 products in the next quarter. Now, up until this time, that's been a really heavy lift because you've employed five copywriters, a room full of editors, and to write all that, to make sure it follows brand voice. Oh, by the way, you also carry 10 other brands of other major, and you have to follow their brand voice of what you can say. That's a heavy lift of 3,000 products. It might take you, if you're really good, you might be able to pull it off in a month, but most likely it's going to take you a quarter just to get all that stuff processed, approved. What if you were to take all of your existing products, feed it into a language model that learned on your 10,000 products, also feed in the brand guidelines for the 10 brands that you also represent, and then create a prompt that says, now here's... 3,000 product names, here are the SKU numbers, write all the product descriptions according to all the brand guidelines, brand voice, et cetera. That's a practical application of AI. And it can be done, that can be done in a matter of hours. Yeah. I think for businesses, so much of the things that they've already been doing is gathering checklists, putting together SOPs, just those types of things. And they, a lot of times these training manuals, they're never opened again. They're really not opened or, or utilized to the extent that they could. And now employees or team members can have this assistant that's trained on all of this information that's hyper relevant to the business. So really cool. As you look forward to 2024, it seems that there are, are some people who had a great 2023. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Great for those people. Much more, I feel like many more are looking forward to 2024 being bigger, better, easier. So I don't know, something different than this past year. When you look back on where we're headed and where we're going from a, either a business landscape or a, a technological or even economic, how are you looking forward into this coming year? I'm looking forward to see how artificial intelligence shakes out. Like you, I'm really excited about how it will allow marketers like myself to really further humanize the experience, also segment the data and create content and messaging and really exciting marketing elements at scale. So that excites me. I'm also looking forward to seeing how businesses creatively do this. I've been predicting for the last couple of years that AI will birth 
the greatest renaissance that we have seen since the renaissance. And what I mean by that is it's going to really empower in people who didn't have access to create the things that they've always dreamed of. And it will enable us to dream even bigger. With that, it will have its challenges. Yes, we'll go through a change in how we view and understand labor and work. But I'm really excited to see how that begins to be pushed to the forefront in 2024 and, and what's going to come out of it. Yeah, we'll be, it will be exciting, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Bob, this has been really fun and, and I think a really insightful conversation. If people want to go and, and get deeper in your world, where's the best place to do that? They can find me on all social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. B.W. Hutchins on Instagram. You can find me. Just search my name, Bob Hutchins, on LinkedIn. Twitter, which is now X, you can find me there under Bob Hutchins. Just Google me. You can find me. And if you're a startup, medium, or even enterprise business that has some problems that need to be solved in the marketing area, that have some scaling humps, some go-to-market strategies that need help with, feel free to reach out to me. This has been a fantastic conversation. And for you listeners, we appreciate you being here. If you if you made it this far, we'd love and appreciate a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know someone who's in the midst of scaling their business, hit that share button and send them a message with this one. And let them know that you were thinking of them. And uh, as always, we appreciate you being a part of the tribe. We'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all.